had a really awesome intro to anthropology teacher. Then I made I made a big shift right at the beginning of my sophomore year because I was specifically like, I'm going to study biology now. Just in general was like, there might be more professional opportunities coming out with a biology background. Mm-hmm. I I did that in the wake of my least favorite course my freshman year being intro to biology. <laughs> I like this in concept. Sure. And then I like took like animal behavior and literally I think it was two weeks into my sophomore year, I was like, I can't like this is not me. Full tilt like got into other classes and all uh-huh. that. And so it was a two two weeks of being a biology major in my mind. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I think in part it's just not wasn't my style of learning. The humanities did have a much more like do it your own way, like tech thing. Uh, read this and like come here with your own thoughts about it, rather than we're going to start from you know square one, which is is how science needs to work. So I had a coming to self awareness through that, and then didn't really look back nor consider any other discipline. This is What Are You Going to Do With That? A podcast where we explore everyday folks' decisions to study the humanities as undergraduates and their pathways to fulfilling careers. I'm Scott Muir of the National Humanities Alliance, an organization dedicated to promoting the value of the humanities on campuses and in communities. In this episode, we meet filmmaker Colin Rosemont. In the previous clip, we heard Colin reflect on his decision to study the discipline that most captured his interest, cultural anthropology, rather than take an instrumental approach to his education. Today, Colin continues to pursue the passions cultivated through his humanities education as he writes, directs, and produces films that connect with the social and cultural issues he cares about most deeply. Along the way, Colin has leveraged the knowledge and skills he gained in humanities classrooms to land a variety of engaging employment opportunities that sustained him while he built a career as an independent filmmaker. Let's return to his story now. I had an amazing English teacher, a humanities teacher in high school, Mrs. Frank. Um, she was the best. Um, and I, I don't think I'm unique in uh, in saying that she yeah. had a strong reputation. And uh, I think that that reputation is born out of just caring a lot about what she did and challenging students to kind of bring their best. And she just really privileged, you know, writing and written response and uh-huh. uh, rather than us taking really, really privileged discussion-based learning, the Socratic method. Yeah. Um, so that was just what I got off on. I was just super into mm-hmm. that style of learning. And so to me, kind of looking at small liberal arts colleges, Reed was a, uh, a fairly clear choice. I wanted to stay on the West Coast. Um, and it was small class sizes and discussion-based learning for the most part. And um, yeah, it was really the right fit like for the the style and structure of like privileging the humanities mm-hmm. literally like the one course you have to take like you absolutely have to take every freshman mm-hmm. things together is called humanities 110 mm-hmm. and that's the i i it's like i don't know three times a week 
each morning you have like a lecture from a different professor throughout the school. So you're hearing from like the Russian lit people, the philosophy people. How did you gravitate to cultural anthropology? I think what drew me to it was like the breadth of a pro kind of playing to my interest in a lot of things. <laughs> There's um, philosophy and you got the literature component to it. You can come at it from a political economy approach, or you could come at it from a completely philosophical, metaphysical way mm -hmm. about like how we relate to the world. And, or you could be very deep in like public policy and right. uh, still be an anthropologist. So it, it was, um, it appealed to that, uh, a part of me, it's just different ways of thinking and like how we make meaning of things. So, uh, it was, uh, was, and really still is my jam. I, I was somebody who was like, I think that I want to stay in academia. So that having that kind of lingering as I was like uh, trying to figure out my next steps and work an odd job did kind of tear me in multiple directions. Actually, my first job was leading like high school students on community engagement, kind of community tourism uh -huh. projects in Ecuador, which was like one of the areas I studied in in I read, but coming out of that, I did the film stuff for a while. And so I started in an art department, um, doing a, like a historical civil war medical drama and then worked on that for the better part of the year coming straight out of school. Yeah. I kind of cut my teeth there, uh, in just the production world, which is just, just basically being able to communicate very effectively for long hours. One of my strengths was able to like just be, I guess Frank was like a, like a curiosity. I was like, mm -hmm. saddle up next to the production designer. Be like, what are you doing? Like, this looks cool. And he was like, Hey kid, you know, why don't you like watch me do my thing? Sure. So I think that's like one way to do it. And one way that like, I could just leverage my general curiosity of things to my advantage, but also helping like with a little bit of research, whether that manifests in writing summaries or finding a set of photographs that show, uh, you know, the Confederate soldiers at mealtime <laughs> for the production designer. So I did that for a time. And along the way, I, man, I've done just a whole host of things for money, working at the public defender's office in Portland as a paralegal writing summaries and doing discovery research and stuff, but that all those like different paths, you know, dabbling in law, uh, technical writing, there's actually a lot of opportunities in technical writing. Writing itself is a skill that I've been able to leverage mm -hmm. with technology companies. For me specifically, I was able to do it with a environmental conservation tech company. So like, like a startup and that, that was great because I was communicating environmental sensor technology to kind of a lay audience, I guess like my skill set was being able to ask the right questions, be like, okay, I don't understand this, but I can communicate with you in order to make me understand. Like just those perspectival shifts of like, oh, I want to use this thing. Like how, what's the user experience and the flow of information that I, I would want. There's been the technical writing and little bits of journalistic writing here and there. It's a, it's a networking endeavor. Like when I had an editor 
at the wire cutter, which is like they do the best of like kind of commercial things. Like Mm -hmm. I had an editor that I worked with there and she liked me and it was like, I didn't even have to ask for work. The University of Oregon had a fully funded master's program and uh, I was able to leverage my background in anthropology and my interest in environmental studies writ large to get into that program. So it was an interdisciplinary program in kind of the truest sense. The opportunity at school was incredible. Like I said, I had this little incubator time of two years. Not only was it free, but I was getting paid every month. Yeah. And through that program, I was able to work on my first documentary short film. Um, But that was something I'd wanted to do for a while. It stems back to my earliest interests in both landscape and storytelling. There's a through line through anthropology. People have written ethnographies, but people have also made films. Sure. um, For about as long as film's been around. So that was like where I was coming at it from. The the nonfiction work at the University of Oregon was born out of like an archaeological research site in uh, Southern California. I got brought onto that through networks, people I knew in the field to uh, help document it. That was when I was like, there is a story in here, a question and a thing to explore at this site. It is like a exploration through multiple perspectives, some of which are more traditionally at the margin. One being that the tribal members that this stuff should not be excavated because it's participates in this very transgressive act of digging up their ancestors' belongings. And belonging is in a very spiritual sense that like their spirits are still attached to these things. You have the academics, the archaeologists who are there in the pursuit of knowledge and constructing uh, a past that we have no um, academic record of through the material cultural objects that they were excavating through this site. The main collaborator um, and subject of the film towed those two lines as like Mm -hmm. a super prolific researcher herself to relearn her family's language and and culture. She really like landed on both sides there. So it was an exploration Mm -hmm. of, I would say those ethics and those kinds of like worldviews or, you know, relationships to to the past and how we make meaning out of it. So it was like engaging in good faith with the native community. And that's like not a straightforward task because there's a whole host of, um, very reasonable apprehensions to this type of work to even like engaging with these archeologists, let alone like me as a filmmaker in California, the dispossession of native people from their lands and culture was, was really, uh, brutal and, um, happened very quickly. And so the, the only ways in which the people I was working with had access to traditional cultural forms of knowledge and stuff was through the anthropological, linguistic and archeological records, which is like a super bittersweet thing, right? But like colonization and literal genocide happened upon your ancestors and 
the, their life ways and whole knowledge systems, your language, all of these things. Um, so that's where relationship building and like being able to not only leverage like my understanding of these things academically, but more someone who cares about these things. So it's not just like, oh, I care about like native California history and native California culture. It's like, I care about like the practical implications thereof. And it's like, I think like the archeologist dude, it all matters about like how it's done mm. and the collaborations that in here, like that, it you know, people are working with tribal partners, mm. leveraging their expertise to answer questions that communities might have and to leave stuff alone if like that's that's the prevailing request of the community but then there's there's a big history of looting archaeological sites which is arguably much worse because there's no value being produced from it um, for the community After capturing this archaeological research process on film as a master's student, Colin launched his career as a full-time filmmaker. Here's Colin on how he's continued to create films inspired by his specific interests within the humanities following grad school. First, he describes how Unearthed, his initial documentary film project, has evolved and led to a subsequent feature-length project on the Tahone tribe currently in production. He then describes two of his short fictional films, Bound and A People's History of Cement. I actually spent the next year after that, like really refining it, like getting it down a more meandering 40 minute film down to what is now a tighter 15 minute film mm-hmm. and a project that is my like, uh, my resume to go work outside of the academy Yeah, that I'm. I really only finished a few months ago and I'm doing like some film festivals and like seeing where that can go. This is a, like a pivot to a, to a, um, collaboration with the, the main subject of that film, who is, uh, actually my co-director on this next like feature doc project. Mm-hmm. So she's a tribal member and she leads a lot of the cultural initiatives. She's on the like elected tribal council. She's a very strong force in the community. Uh, her name's Sandra Hernandez. And so we are, at this point, many years long collaborators and friends uh, and pivoted to tell this next story. We want to tell the story of the Tejon tribe mm-hmm. and their s- struggle and ultimate success in achieving federal reaffirmation. They, you know, are federally recognized now as of about 10 years ago, nine years ago. It's a very unique and interesting history of like the California reservation system mm-hmm. and they had a huge several hundred thousand acre reservation that they signed treaties for, um, specifically for their tribe. And, uh, we just subsequently had that taken away. It was unratified by the Senate. Now there's opportunities to get land back. I'm trying to make a, a film about the ways in which history still live on today, how we kind of grapple with those struggles. How do you navigate those inter- intergenerational issues of belonging and wanting to reclaim something that might've been lost and, and how you impart, you know, certain values to your kids and those types of just more universal human, um, issues at play. So focusing more on like what it means to be 
California Indian person today, as well as like what it means to be building a nation out of scratch, the things that they have to do to, to actualize their, their community and their status as a sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. So the administrative things that come with that, the problems, the, the identity issues, this is my documentary work. And I have like a whole nother, both aspirational life and in the weeds life of the, of narrative work, which like, to me, they're not like, oh, here's this one silo of doc stuff. And here's this silo of fiction. They all require a certain amount of storytelling and integrating social themes into the narrative work and creative things into the, uh, nonfiction work. And as a, as a writer, like when I'm writing screenplays, like mm-hmm. it's like largely what I'm thinking about different social, political, or kind of humanities based themes writ large, like one little short film about two brothers and one of them had been in a big traumatic accident, like, and was left bedridden and his older brother's got to take care of him. I was like, oh, I'm interested in the issues of male to male intimacy Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, dealing with like masculinity and, and intimacy and notions of care. Mm -hmm. Like these are all like larger thematic things. The ones I I seem to gravitate towards in my writing, really site-specific stories. So like working on one about a cement plant right now, how like a town grew up around this plant, the ways in which just like these real social histories of migration, of labor, Mm -hmm. of environmental harm on the landscape, like all these things that I'm interested in from a social and kind of cultural anthropological lens, like how people think about these things and understand the relationship, um, to economies and and personal histories, like become really great topics in my opinion for like stories and in narrative story. It's like my general training, um, in the humanities. It's left me with skills writing, skills communicating, and skills like analyzing, climbing that ladder of just like uh, being able to analyze uh, text, make arguments, clearly articulate those points, and follow a kind of complex discussion and be able to like contribute to that and pose questions that, and I think those are just kind of things that might help anyone through their everyday life doing things. It to me is fundamental to everything I do. Your ability to both like ask the right questions and then also your own story and like, uh, the things you're interested in and how you think you can contribute, um, are all pretty crucial to successful interviewing and successful networking. Um, but yeah, I think is, um, is how the, the humanities or at least my background and like has, has helped in, in those regards as you're right. It's like showing that you are an interesting, capable person and curious person that has problem solving skills. Right. People are looking for proactive people who can make things happen and solve problems. There is a lot to be said about following your passions, at least in those like developmental years things that light your fire, it feels to me like a strong opportunity if one has that and that there are opportunities out of that, um, to, you know, there's a million, uh, 
examples of people transitioning to tech or advertising or any of these big industries. You can shift and be, and be a computer scientist in your early career. If you want, a lot of my humanities friends did that. They did like six week boot camp. You can also approach the humanities with this breadth and then get some technical training afterwards. But, but often the inverse is harder to do. And so you can often transition one way to the next, but it's harder to maybe sink your teeth into those humanities, um, subjects and like the skills you might gain from that after computer science, um, or after a more technical, uh, you know, discipline or, or education. I think there are, there's a totally valuable set of communication skills and critical thinking skills, um, that come out of studying the humanities that you might not get if you have a, if you go into a more technical specified discipline, you're just bringing an, a, another element to the table with this extra, like, you know, toolkit in your pocket, but like, you know, you can come to film with a whole kind of set of thinking about stories and thinking about the world. Yeah. You got to immerse yourself in the place. You got to immerse yourself in history and, you know, uh, understanding power dynamics, conflicts, all those things are what makes up stories. So 